Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the PPC Chat Roundup. In today's episode, we have Julie taking us on a very great chat of red flags and problem clients. Now, I say this is a really great chat because it's been my favorite topic of late. I've done a few blog posts about it. And these are just the things, the warning signs that you get from prospective clients who come to you saying that we've heard about your work. We, you know, I want to change agency. I don't like what my current agency is doing, you know, and just to figure out how to, you know, really peg out the red flags of what could be a problem client. And we talk about this. We told I, I, the, the most answered question was the first question as to what our red flags are. Loads of them. <laughs> it would be fun to see them. I'm sure one, um, a lot of mine are in there. I have a top three that I'll share with you later of my red flags. And I talk about the deal breakers, how you deal with them, how you see them, how you deal with the problem clients. Do you suffer it by giving them a problem client multiplication charge? Or do you treat them the same way or you do you just escape that headache and not deal with them at all? So yeah, we go through that and I hope you get some great takeaways from this because I feel everyone in a stage in their career will have a problem client, will come across a potential problem client and it's really good. It's really important to know what to look out for so that you're not taking for a mug. All right. Hope you enjoy. Hello and a warm welcome to this week's episode of the PPC Chat Roundup. This podcast is where I round up the Slack discussion. It's now a Slack discussion, not Twitter anymore. That happens on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. GMT. I'm your host, Anu, and I'm recording from my studio here. That, that has not changed in London, UK, and I use this platform to share not just expert, but also my ideas and considered best practices about paid media and the direction the digital industry is going in. So if you want to keep up to date with my tips and tricks in the industry and get the latest on the podcast that has been called Your Go, to if you don't make it to the PPC chat live discussions and even if you do then like follow share and retweet or repost wherever you are at using my twitter and threads handle the marketing anu if you even search on linkedin the marketing anu i pretty much sign off all my posts with the marketing anu so you'll also find me by you know searching for the marketing anu or linkedin or you can join our linkedin group on there which is a ppc chat roundup or if you're on instagram why don't you check us out at PPC chat underscore roundup to get quotes and snippets from previous episodes. And so, as I said earlier on, we are on a really great chat this week as led by Julie talking about red flags and problem clients. Because yeah, there, you will always come across some problem client who wants some, make some ridiculous requests, mention something from their previous agency that I just feel like it's just not true. We trust our fellow advertisers more than a client that doesn't really know much about um, digital advertising and I just think that we really really just need to be careful when we have that happening so yes be wary of of problem clients be wary of you know red flags from clients and yeah it's really great to have a lot of the community today sharing their ideas their their feedback as to what counts as a problem client. And with us joining this chat, we've got Melissa McKee as well, River Minkoff, Travis Bierschel, Dwayne Brown, Michelle Yeager, Neva Hopkins. She does love the Slack way. And uh, yeah, several others, Heather Cox, Robert Brady, Sophie Logan as well, and Austin Dillman. So yeah, really, really great group of experts here to help us navigate to this topic. 
So without further ado, let's get into our questions of today. So Julie asks, what do you consider to be a red flag when interacting with a potential client? With a potential client. And uh, yeah, before I kick off the answers, I would say that my biggest ones are the fact that PPC isn't a demand generation channel. It's a demand capture channel. So beware, beware for those clients who go, oh, we're only doing PPC. We're not doing any display or we're not doing any branding work. We're not doing any social. We're not doing anything like that's what your competitors have an edge over you. Like lots of clients who feel that they don't need to panic too much about PPC are the ones who have strong branding. So it always makes me nervous when they're like, PPC is the one that they're going to use to be magic wand of all their digital advertising needs. Also, PPC can't guarantee results. I can't guarantee results as a PPC manager. So when a client comes to me saying that we need sales quickly and fast and we need that increasing immediately, I am wary. Also, until I take a good look at the, at the accounts, until I take a good look under the hood, I don't know. I can't give conclusive and effective advice about the accounts. It will be a guess from my experience. And I could give some, you know, what I think could be the, the issue based on, you know, which metric you're telling me is poor for you. Yeah. So if you say maybe click through rates is a problem for you. Yeah. I can think of the air. Maybe yes, it's probably something to do with your ad copy, but CTR click through rate could also have something to do with keywords. Um, so yeah, you never know till you look at it. The thing where a mechanic isn't going to say what's wrong with a car until they pop open the hood. But yeah, so those are my top three, which are your th- top three. I'd say an extra fourth for me is when a client, and I had that with one of the first potential client that I could be having and he hit oh, pretty much all the red flags and he was also just basically bad mouthing the previous agency, the incumbent agency, the current agency he was working with saying that they don't, he doesn't trust them. When he tries to search for his products on Google, he's not seen his ads and those kind of things made me go, oh, why are you doing that? That's not the, and I told him that that is not the measure stick by which you measure whether a client is good or not. So always be wary of those things. So anyway, let's get into what our experts are saying. Melissa McKee goes asking us to train them on what to do, wanting instant or guaranteed results. Absolutely. River Minkov shares a creepy one using pet names, calling me dear, honey, sweetie is an immediate disqualification. I agree for, for guys that I, that I've only chatted to for the first time on dating sites and on potential clients. Absolutely. Don't call me dear, honey, sweetie. It doesn't sound well on the first conversation and professionally never it never sounds well at any point in the relationship travis responds saying for me it's when they lead with skepticism not an initial olive branch of trust what i say to address that this is you are an expert in your brand company and industry i am an expert in google ads and seo yes trust is built over time but a healthy relationship is forged at first by both sides leaning into the unknown Julie responds saying immediately talking crap about their last agency or agency is a huge one for me. Absolutely. Dwayne Brown then gives like a number here, like five, five of his red flags. So, you know, sit back and relax for this. He goes, number one, doesn't have budget set aside for ads. Number two, been through a lot of agencies in a short period of time. Some people have bad luck, but that is the exception to the norm. Three, have unrealistic goals. The smaller the business, the more this happens, I find. Four, wants to tell us how to do our job and micromanage. Five, just an awful website, but won't change anything 
on it. Absolutely. Great paid site campaign, bad landing page, horrible mix. You will not get good results. River Minkoff goes, River Minkoff goes, no tracking. Michelle Yeager goes, so many things, but a few that come to mind when someone gets on the phone and tells you what they think they needed and don't ask questions about what I think about the account or business scenario. When someone assumes I will take the work on, and a third one, when someone who clearly does not have experience in PPC starts throwing around words like quality score and just thinks that that is what everybody should be focusing on. And like, no, no, no. Nava Hopkins goes, yeah, agree with the promised results and pet names. Ugh. I'd add constant messages at all times of the day and night. If they can't respect work-life balance as a prospect, no way they'll respect it as a client. When I told a client I was on holiday, I was on a boat. I was on a snorkeling excursion and he still pushed in on me calling him immediately. I should have seen. Those were all the red flags I needed. Julie then responds as well, saying also balking at signing a contract. Our contracts are not super long-term and offer termination with 30-day notice either way. Heather Cox goes, when they tell you how to do our job, because marketing is easy in inverted commas, this includes how to structure campaigns, set up how or what to optimize all of it. Nava goes, good point here. I struggle hard with folks that have no idea what their budget should be. And that's in response to Dwayne. And then Julie goes, wanting to have five calls or meetings before signing on with me? No, you get one discovery call and maybe a quick follow-up. You want more, become a client. Nava goes, I don't believe in PPC SEO or social, but I'm told I have to. Oh Lord. So you don't believe in it. So anyway, Michelle goes, people are, who are hyper-focused on internal AdWords number. I recognize that it's hard to not be focused on that, but I think it's important to gauge if the client is open to looking at the performance more holistically. Absolutely. Michelle continues example. Are they going to be a good student or, or an obnoxious one? Yeah. Be wary of the obnoxious ones. Robert Brady goes, when they say how they think things should be done, but then add, but you're the expert. And it's like, they're daring you to disagree with them. Oh, I hate that. Sophie Logan responds, we've spoken to other agencies and here is what they've promised us. What can you promise we'll get? I'm like, yeah, you'll get what we, what we offer at the price we offer it is flipping what that the response should always be. River Minkoff goes big website issues or really bad UX is a pretty big red flag that can take forever to fix if they are willing to fix it at all. But really, yeah, Melissa McKee hit the number one answer with wanting guaranteed results. Yep. Michelle Yeager says, when they say something like, if we could just get our ads to work, we would be so successful. Nava goes, I saw X and they said this. What do you think? This one is insidious because many of us are friends with each other and we want to support our industry friends. But at the same time, if the advice won't work for the account, it can be tough not to debate the strategy and how you know you're always going to have to explain the strategy you're running in their account against a thought leader. Julie then responds and then responds to what Reva Minkoff said, saying, if I see a big website issue, I will always bring it up in the initial call as an issue and see what their reaction is. If they are clearly unwilling to even consider it might be a problem, I will politely bounce. Miriam responds saying, questioning everything, including why Google does things, then go radio silent then come back, wanting another call with questions like, how would you fix that? Can you talk me through this? And someone else told me this. <laughs> And then Austin Dillman responds saying, asks for discounts. 
And he gives four of his red flags. Number one, ask for discounts. My worst clients in the past always asked for discounted rates and had the most demands and were the hardest to work with. My rate is two times two times 2.5 times higher than when I started in 2019 and I get fewer requests for discounts now. Amazing. Companies that hire me value my experience and what I do. Standoffish, number two, standoffish, arrogant execs and founders, bad personality, think they know everything. Three, founders that don't understand their, their financials and set ridiculous KPIs. Example, client wants to run meta ads, product sells for $10 and has a 20% margin. Founder expects me to make paid channels work for them that have never been profitable for them and never will be. Mm. And then four, CEOs that want to be involved in every decision of the work I'll do. Lack of trust and micromanager. Ah, so yeah, Austin has issues with the with the CEOs and founders, which some of them can be a pain in the ass. I totally get that. And then we have Ashton Clark responding to number one, a few red flags here saying unrealistic goals, expectations around performance and or timelines is the biggest for me. Example, we want to drive $5 million in two months when the account's in bad shape or starting from scratch. Doing brand as well goes, this is a wider industry issue, but brands wanting free work, free account reviews that some call audits. I don't like working for free. Pay me if you want to know what I think. Clients from day one talk like they're going to, they're doing you a favor if they hire you. Miriam responds, oh yeah, a potential client the other week said, how do you expect to win clients like me if you don't complete a free full account audit, right? Yeah, and then Julie goes, please tell me you said I don't. I work with people who value my expertise and will pay for it. Heather Cox responds, yeah, expertise comes with a cost and huge benefit. Julie Friedman goes, yeah, I once had a potential client who was a re referral from a close personal friend. Mind you, actually say to me when talking about the price, well, if you don't have the authority to which I said, I am the authority and this is the price. <laughs> right? Austin responds, I've never given away an audit. I charge double digit figures, but a per channel audit typically leads to an ongoing, ongoing retainer. I know lots of freelancers that give away audits. I put a lot of time and detail into them, typically 40 slides of data analysis, recommendations, and next steps. If a potential client expected all of that for free, they wouldn't ever become a client in the first place where they already wouldn't value what I do. Dwayne Brown then responds as well to Julie saying that it happens often enough that I just explain why I don't work for free and we want to focus on our paying clients. Plus, we won't have the bandwidth to give everyone free work. The math doesn't work out. Work-life balance is important. And yeah, Dwayne Brown in response to Austin Dillman going, sadly, a lot of agencies and freelancers claim giving away the audit for free is how they win. But if that is the only way you can win business, says a lot about your selling skills, you need to stop the free work in this industry. And then yeah, Austin Dillman goes to Dwayne and Miriam saying, totally agree. Audit work is extremely valuable. My pitch is that I'm going to help them save money in the short term with optimizations, then help them make more money with scaling opportunities. And then we go on to question two, where Julie asked, how do you handle red flags when they arise? So we have the red flags happening, but what do you do when you see them, Nava responds saying, I start every conversation, red flag or no, from a place of empathy, understanding how things they're asking for will help them or at least how they perceive it will. If it's just a difficult person, I walk away. However, nine over 10, a red flag 
can be conquered with a calm tone and genuine interest in understanding how one can help the person behind the brand. Nava continues, that said, I'm also very upfront about what qualifies as an SQL for me and make it clear early on if I think I'll be referring business out. One eventually consulting client paid me one thousand dollars because i took the time to explain what he would need and why i didn't think i was the right vendor for him he eventually came back and insisted to work with me in the way i could work with him even though other vendors would be able to fully support him julie responds to that saying i agree with Nava in that i will try to dig to find out what's behind the red flag behavior sometimes it's something that can be overcome through trust and understanding and sometimes it is not Michelle Yeager responds saying, if a red flag pops up, I usually try to understand more and try to get at the root of their concern. Sometimes it just strengthens the red flag. If it's price, they might just not be able to afford me. Or if it's something like the CEO thinking they know a lot about Google ads, trying to get at that a little more, then I can either turn the red flag into a yellow or green one or further feel good about walking away. And then Sophie Logan responds saying, usually we try to jump on a call 30 minutes max as sometimes attitude and tone is hard to get across via emails and it's also easier to discuss more detailed things. You can get more detail and information from a call without feeling like you've grilled them too much. We make it feel casual, but it's still a formal process for us. This usually helps us gauge their personality too to see if that's going to be a good fit. Travis responds saying, I give people the natural opportunity to object. Things like, it sounds like you're looking for analysis of XYZ and no cost. Is that right? Those questions are great. Are you looking for training for you or and or the team? Are you objecting because you don't agree with the data or insights? Often lead to them clarifying what they are chasing. Either that or it shines a light on the nature of their question or request. Robert Brady's response saying, be okay with walking away. If you go into the conversation desperate, you might ignore red flags. If you're secure, then you have the ability to work through a red flag or agree that you're not the best fit. Dwayne Brown responds saying, ask questions and find out why and what they think. Then just be honest with your POV and philosophy. Hiring an agency is like getting married. So lay your cards on the table and see what happens. Robert Brady then, no, Julie responds to Robert Brady then, this is such an important lesson to learn and it can be heard. And it can be hard in the beginning and or at a time when you really need to work to walk away. You need the the work to walk away. But if you ever find yourself talking yourself into working with a potential client, walk away. Trust me on this. I've been independent for 24 years. Working with a terrible client will suck up too much energy and might prevent you from landing a great client, not to mention what it can do to your mental health. Always the priority. And Riva responds saying, don't deviate from your deal breakers. If something is a deal breaker, it's okay to walk. There is a lot of business out there. Something else will turn up. And Melissa goes, what Neptune Moon or Julie said, working for terrible clients is like working for terrible bosses. It will burn you out. Michelle Yeager responds saying, I have a hard time saying no on the phone and historically just said yes to anything, like kind of in a weird freeze mode. So now I have a role where I never say yes or note anything over the phone and follow up with an email. I'm better at no now, so I'd like to start saying no on the phone more, but baby set steps. I think that's a very good idea and very good recognition of what she was doing and how she needed to, you know, edit her ways. 
Austin Dillman responds saying, this probably goes against norms, but I lead into minimum retainer pricing before I even hop on a call. It saves me so much time, eliminates the companies that don't want to spend money. They usually open up about what they're willing to spend. If it's low, I'll refer them to a lower cost freelancer. If someone isn't a good personality fit, I'll throw out a ridiculous retainer project fee and create a short term SOW. If I miraculously get the deal, I can handle an annoying client for a few months. Sometimes they end up being better to work with than expected once you understand their fear or concerns. Many times execs are jerks on calls because they were burned by agencies or freelancers in the past. I was not great at identifying red flags and walking away from bad clients when I was new to freelancing. I just wanted to make some money. I'm way pickier these days and have no problem walking away from a deal. Michelle Yeager responds saying, I do the same now. Lead with a minimum retainer price and minimum spend bands. It's really helped. Sirius Tima responds, I ignored red flags a lot and then recognized them after the fact. And then going on to question three, Julie asks, what red flags are deal breakers for you and why? Oh, all those deal breakers for me. Like literally, if you want quick results, I'm out. I'm out. I'm, I'm not guaranteeing anyone quick results before I do a proper review and audit. And then Nava Hopkins responds to a question. Uh, yeah, question three saying, um, one, budget, being rude or argumentative for no reason other than it makes them feel good. Three, not respecting time. Everything else can be worked out, but those three are lines in the sand for me. Big ones for me, Travis says, co-managing accounts and or work, pay for services, provide feedback, but no two hands on the steering wheel. And then two, taking work and running with it. It's okay to outgrow a partnership, but learning just enough to make the relationship obsolete is, is being a vampire. Michelle Yeager responding intro calls that sound more like someone trying to give you marching orders. Austin Dillman responds, budget, the lower the retainer, the more work they expect. Two, unrealistic growth goals. If I'm set up for failure before I even start, I won't take it on. I usually address this in pitch calls. Three, clients that want lots of meetings. Four, lack of boundaries. Clients that expect you to be available 24-7. Julie Friedman as well says, for me, deal breakers include, one, hammering me on the price. If they don't value what I'm bringing to the table, I'm not interested. Two, multiple contact points with final authority. I need one person. One is in charge only. Three, giving me a hard time about signing a contract. I'm always willing to discuss the language in any part of the contract document, but some are just not willing to sign to get started. Four, not being willing to pay to get started. I bill upfront and ongoing work is pre-built as well. Five, wanting me on their Slack or other requests that will make me available on demand for them. And then Melissa as well responds saying lack of boundaries, as Austin said, expecting us to drop everything around the clock at their whim. We are your partner, not employee. And frankly, if you treat employees the way I would that way, I would not want to work for you. And Dwayne Brown says, yeah, a few big ones, too small of a budget, two wants to do comms on Slack or WhatsApp, three won't fill out our intake form, four something I don't want to sell or goes against our values, five wants to meet every week but doesn't want to pay for the time. There is a reason we do monthly or fortnightly meetings 
over weekly. Melissa goes, yeah, we did that at my previous agency, working to implement it at my current one. And SLA on turn times is a must. Absolutely. Austin Dillman is as well saying, outrageous payment terms are on my red flag list. Usually big companies with slow internal processes had a global 500 business want net 90 payment terms. Talked them down to net 60 with the caveat that I would bill two months of retainers two months in advance october 1st i send invoices for november december essentially creates net 30 for november invoice and net zero for december now they usually pay within 15 to 30 days way ahead of the net 60 terms right so if you log in then response to as well to question three saying yeah one the relentless haggler our prices are transparent and we aren't prepared to make adjustments to suit an individual's want this especially relates to those who don't agree to payment terms and condition too bad fit personality we're a team of mainly young women and would accept misogyny or inappropriate comments for example comments on our hair or tattoos Three, unrealistic expectations which can't be brought down to reality. Better to be safe than sorry with these types of potential clients. Heather Cox then responds saying, one, I cited one-sided partnerships if they check out after launch and you rarely hear from them. Two, lack of payment. Three, bad attitudes. Four, being told how to do the job who are hired, we are hired to do. Sherry Steeman responds saying, not respecting time and boundaries. Busy work with no purpose. um, or outcome blaming with no responsibility not paying in time and like i said emails also scope creep then julie takes us on to question four asking what traits do you find make a problem client Dwayne goes once results but does not want to change anything being inflexible won't get you far Julie responds, client that want to treat me like an employee are problematic. Often this can be addressed and the client's behavior can be improved. Sometimes not, uh, sometimes not though. Clients that are not interested in being part of the process. I'm a lead gen PPC and I need client feedback. Travis responds saying, in no particular order, lack of trust, lack of curiosity, unwillingness to learn, unwillingness to change opinions based on new data insights. Michelle responds saying, lots of thoughts, uh, lots of things already discussed. People who are condescending can sometimes turn around but it's a risk people who are scatterbrained and have a hard time being present in the conversation and jump from topic to topic or go down rabbit holes i see this with ceos of startups of startups a lot rigid thinking mostly in assuming their business problem is external to them major one around boundaries and expectations of of availability Then Austin Dillman responds saying low product cost with low margins, very hard to be profitable and get a solid ROAS. Two, limited niche or market, can't reach them using the channels I specialize in. Three, highly regulated industries, makes advertising extremely difficult in Google or Meta. Four, awful website that is not set up to convert. I can only do so much on the ad side. I can't make your site convert. I usually try to sell them on bringing in a CRO expert that I partner with for landing pages. No product differentiation in a crowded market. Six overpriced products. Melissa responding, telling us what to do tactically, unable to install tracking on the site, expecting immediate answers, unresponsive or ignoring our questions or calls. Another response, clients who expect the world on a shoestring budget, expect the world on a shoestring budget, as well as folks who refuse to earn their responsibility, falling up on leads, website, etc. The absolute worst are rude people, though. I will tolerate a lot until someone is rude. 
Jean Julie responds, how about clients who refuse to acknowledge that they have competition? This is particularly bad when their web experience is inferior to that of their online competitors. Sarah Steeman responds saying, one, gaslighting, two, high turnover, three, rushing a big decision, four, not paying on time, five, asking super specific questions about what keywords I'll bid on, what campaigns, anything really rigid, six, needing many reports for different stakeholders, seven, constantly breaking websites. Melissa McKee responds saying, clients who go into the account and make changes on their own, this happens with smaller clients and is so frustrating. Melissa goes, yeah, enterprise clients don't do that. And then we have Sarah Steamer responding saying, also looking for super detailed specific skill set for no budget. And then Kyle Taylor goes, my most recent problem client was one who was adamant that things that worked in the past, even years ago, will continue to work. And then we have Sophie Logan responding saying, once which don't recognize that their product or services and or website needs work, they don't want to put any work into bettering things, even when it's needed and their competitors are overperforming them in all areas. Kyle responds then, yeah, we showed the CMO data that said for every dollar they were spending on Capterra ads, they were getting a 0.15 times ROAS when closed lost ops were taken into consideration across 225,000 dollars. Kyle then continues, they couldn't grasp that, that brand awareness efforts could support all inbound efforts. So they gutted the LinkedIn budget to put back into Capterra, rejecting the real data because they know the Capterra can work, right? And then coming to our last question, Julie asks, how do you deal with problem clients and how does it vary based on the nature of the problematic client? Dwayne Brown responds saying, be honest about the issue in a respectful way. Everyone wants this to be successful. We have a long version of this laid out in our contract. We need everyone on both sides to do what they said they will do and meet deadlines. No slacking. Julie continues as well saying, I always try to approach a problematic client behavior as just that and see if we can find a way around it or get to the root of what is really going on first. Sarah Steeman responds saying, at this point in my life, there is a conversation. And then if things don't change, a quick walk away, knowing your value is part of this. And yeah, Julie responds to that saying, agreed, Sarah, I make a reasonable effort to get things on track. But if I can't, then I'm out. Travis responds saying, ultimately, it becomes an opportunity cost Question, does investigate does investing extra time to write the ship pay out in terms of relationship, longevity or value? Or does cutting ties free you up to perform more meaningful, fruitful work? Sarah Steeman goes that too, if it's too expensive and frankly, emotionally expensive is a consideration too. Nava Hopkins goes, empathy, I try my best to understand where the friction is coming from. However, I also do a pretty good job at training my clients to respect and value my time. My time, And if it's not a good fit, I usually am the one to bring up splitting. Sometimes they reform because they don't want to lose me as a resource. Heather Cox goes, taking control of the problem by jumping on a call and addressing the situation before it becomes an issue. Sophie Logan says, we have reached the three-month review mark with a handful of clients where we evaluated the situation and decided to not continue working with them. We always explain why we don't think it's a good fit and help them find 
another provider, including full detailed handovers. Some are really surprised when we don't want to just keep on taking their money, even when we've spent three months having difficult conversations with them and it clearly not being a good fit. Sam Tomlinson responds saying for us, there are a few levels to it. One, I respectfully address the situation with the client, including providing clear, simple examples of the issue. If it doesn't improve, then there's usually a breakup conversation. Sometimes that is enough to correct the issue, but not always. Three, transition the client. If things haven't improved, we'll transition the client to another agency. I never want to leave someone high and dry, even those difficult to work with clients. But at the end of the day, the first obligation is to our team. Absolutely. It's always to your team that you should be thinking, how is this client going, client going to stress them out? How is this client going to make them feel like they can still progress in their jobs? And I don't think enough companies do that. So yes, that's a very great point from ta- from Sam. And on that great point, we end the chat today. I hope you found that very useful. I found that riveting and it was really good to get those tips on how to deal with some of these clients. And that's a really good, you know, point that Sam made in terms of transition the client. You know, we you, a lot of us have contacts. A lot of us might be able to pass that client off to someone else who can deal with that, that client a lot better. And then you keep a good relationship with the client, even though they might have been problematic. So yeah, hope you found that useful and taking some great takeaways. If you want to continue this chat, we are going to be on Discord. If you find that, find Neptune Moon at Neptune Moon, that's Julie Buccini's handle on Twitter. She'll tell you the link to the Discord channel or is there a way of, of searching for Discord channels or discord groups so if you search for ppc chat we're on discord so check that out we'll be having the audio version of this chat on thursday 5 p.m gmt 12 p.m eastern time for any feedback about the podcast or maybe even some corrections on anything that has been shared do get in touch with me on twitter threads linkedin my handle is the at the marketing anu or search for the marketing anu yeah on linkedin and we have a ppc chat roundup group on there so if you'd like to Join us with your thoughts. Let us know. It'll also be great for any longstanding members or even brand new members that have listened to an episode for more than 30 seconds to leave a rating or a review. So yeah, if you just go to linktree.com forward slash PPC chat underscore roundup, you'll get more info about that. And yeah, don't forget, we've got the next PPC Live UK happening on October 26th. That's in a couple of months because now we're doing them every quarter. So it's not for another couple of months now. The last one was July, end of July, where we celebrated our one year anniversary. It was fantastic. And because it's the next one is happening around my birthday, I'll probably have cake again. So yeah, you don't want to miss that. So that'll just go to ppcliveuk.com to get tickets for that. We'll be talking about automation. We'll be talking about data we'll be talking about pmax again as well we'll be talking about a lot of things that you'll be interested in so you want to join us finally remember for your campaigns and businesses to glide smoothly there's a lot of hard work needed beneath the surface so keep your swans kicking bye and speak to you next week <laughs>